Hello. Welcome to Mega Zoom. Mm, this is Mega Zoom. No, we all speak like this here in Mega Zoom. Zoom call. <laughs> we, we all speak like coal barons here in Mega Zoom. Please join Mega Zoom. <laughs> Mega Zoom phone call. Miller, you're going to blow out your voice for the whole cast. I know. It'll be real bad. <laughs> for Mega Zoom, dial three. <laughs> three. You have selected four. four. Not Mega Zoom. Please make another selection. <laughs> For not Mega Zoom. <laughs> four. Yeah. You have selected three, not four, two, not four, five, not four. <laughs> not four. All insufficient choices. Please select four. Four is the only number that will get you to Mega Zoom. <laughs> you have selected one. An that is not van, four. Uh, that is not four. An unmarked van will be arriving at your location in one second. You have selected two. That is not four. Half of four. Half of four. Half of four. Halfway to four. If you want, Eight. you can hit two again and that will suffice. Two plus two is four. Eight. Double of four. Not good S enough. <laughs> this bit has gone on way too long. Six is two more than four. Did you mean two to less than eight? Because I but would it is more than than four. And ten is right out. <laughs> ten is just right out. Oh Goodbye. goodness me! Well, glad we got that out of our system. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone, to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections. It's me, your fill-in Sci-Fi boy, Jason. And joining me today is... Mark Bucker. Andrew's back. Fantastic. Well, the boys three today are going to cover the well-loved 1988 John Carpenter sci-fi film, They Live. The trifecta. Wanted, uh, the trifecta, yeah. The original to, three. Orig uh, yeah, original <laughs> three. Um... So I think we wanted to cover this movie. We had been talking about a little bit. Uh, well, I had been talking about a little bit, I should say. I recently revisited Escape from New York. Mm -hmm. And it got me in a bit of a John Carpenter kick. And uh, this was one of those movies that I kind of wanted to revisit. Because I thought uh, not only is it a timely movie, but it's in a lot of ways a classic. So I hadn't watched it in a while. And I wanted to see if this one held up. So I uh, wanted to extend it to the boys. And uh, we're going to talk about it tonight. We're going to analyze it we're going to cross-section it mm -hmm. we're going to sci-fi it yep we'll tell you what and, we think about it and we'll tell you what we think about gonna it sci-fi yeah. it <laughs> we're gonna crumble we are gonna sci-fi it that is for sure we uh we're pretty good at that i would say 100 and what are we now like 187 episodes Holy 134 195 don't 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 confuse mark um, 135 <laughs> this is one I episode 135 that's a lot of episodes if i do <laughs> say so myself i've probably been on four of them <laughs> uh, Mark, I sincerely doubt that. Mark, did you just select four? Uh oh. Hey, hey um, this is this paying off. Welcome to Mega Zoom, Mega Mark. Zoom. You've selected four. That I'm is the still, correct answer. I'm still trying to get in. <laughs> yeah, Miller's still in the waiting room. Right. 
So, speaking of Escape from New York, I guess he, uh, John Carpenter wanted to have Kurt Douglas in this, and it was like, I've done too much Kurt Douglas lately. I can't Kurt cast Douglas someone else. Kurt Douglas or Kurt Russell? Oh, Kurt Russell, I'm sorry. Mm. Big difference. <laughs> Kurt Douglas. <laughs> They're Kurt's, you know. I, what did mm. we just say? Mark gets easily confused. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now see, that that is a joke that Colin, um, may he rest in peace, that is a joke with Gilbert <laughs> Gottfried. Um, may he also rest in peace. I just but, like to say I hate being dead. <laughs> that he does. That is one that Colin would appreciate because I, I know that Colin is, uh, you know, he's aware of Kirk Douglas. So imagine Kirk Douglas and Escape from New York or The Thing, for that matter. It'd be pretty funny mm -hmm. if uh, he was cast instead of Kurt Russell. <laughs> um, that's, that's pretty humorous. I like that. I've got but, some photoshopping yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah, definitely a lot of photoshopping there. But yeah, you know, that's a, the interesting thing to me is with John Carpenter's like late 70s, 80s output, mm -hmm. just a crazy amount of stuff that guy did in such a short amount of time. And it really took this for me to kind of think through it and like go back through his filmography from that period. And just like some films that are just heralded today as ultimate classics mm -hmm. not only in sci-fi but you know there's a lot of horror adjacent stuff there obviously um and it all had uh, quite an impact i think on a lot of media that we personally hold dear you know or it influenced a lot of things that we personally mm -hmm. hold dear whether it be films tv video games books that type of thing so mm -hmm. uh really kind of glad we're, we're chatting about this one tonight i think what i would like to do is do a bit of a production uh info here for yeah. you guys kind of tell you a little bit about what went into the making of this movie and then i may if uh my memory serves me correctly now i ain't no hostess with the mostest let me just put that out there but i might synopsize after that I would we'll love you we to do all those. All right. So, They Live was directed by John Carpenter and also written by John Carpenter, but it was based on the story Eight O'Clock in the Morning by Ray Nelson, mm -hmm. produced by Larry Franco, starring Rowdy, Roddy Piper. Mm -hmm. May he rest in peace. The man, may he rest in peace as well. Keith David and Meg Foster. Uh, cinematography by Gary B. Kibb or Kibby. Edited by Gib Jaffe and Frank Jimenez. Uh, music by John Carpenter, as is his want to do with movies that he is involved in or directs. And uh, Alan Howarth, kind of a bluesy score, if I do say so myself. Mm -hmm. Produced by Live Films, attributed by Universal Pictures. A release date was November 4th, 1988. Runtime, 94 minutes. <laughs> Country of origin, <laughs> the U.S. The budget for this movie, if I don't know if you guys have a guess, an educated guess or an uneducated guess, what do you think? I'm looking, budget for I'm, they I'm looking right at the mm. Wikipedia page. Well, Miller, you can't. <laughs> I'm going to cannot chime in, my bud. Oh, man. What did movies cost around then? Do you have like an adjacent movie that I could... Let's get the oh, it's hard for you to Titanic. do. Titanic. Oh, no, that came out 10 years later. Never mind. Uh, I don't Brick. know. $15 million. You're saying $15 million for sure. the production budget? Yeah. Three million dollars, mm -hmm. and it made thirteen million in North America. Yeah, so we were closer to the uh, the uh, the box office there. Yeah, and interestingly enough, uh, this movie unseated Halloween Four to be the number one movie at the box office the weekend it was released. Wow, which is kind of an interesting tidbit there. But it was in fact the number one movie the weekend it released, which is kind of cool because this would <laughs> never be the number one no. movie today. Isn't that the first Halloween movie that John Carpenter wasn't a part of? 
I don't know. It would take John yeah. Carpenter to unseat John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The the king is back. Yeah, I don't I don't know if on Halloween four if he had anything to do with it or not. I know like he produced Halloween two, but obviously only directed the first one. So I'm not really sure. I'm looking right now. That's a good little uh, a good little bit of factoid there. We should probably I can find look, out. I can look up all his uh, albums. Hey, that's fantastic. He's got a he's got a few. He has a lot on vinyl. Have a few. Which Miller? Do you have you have an internet connection? I do over there and wherever you're at, whatever your your background looks like, it looks like it's some sort of uh, hellish in, place. Uh, yeah, I'm in, in a, I'm in the fucking I'm in the Rakdos pits. I'm in a yeah. What type of connection do they have in the Rakdos pits? <laughs> uh, you know what? I've actually got a I've got terabyte or a, a gigabit internet. They've got one of those mesh so. networks there, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Damn. All right. Well, uh, you're you're right. He was that was the first one that he was not involved with. Nice, interesting. Yeah. So fantastic. So that is a little bit of technical specs that they live now. If you would uh, allow me the pleasure of synopsizing this for you guys, uh, I would like to do that now. Do that now. Hold on, get, let me get into synopsizing mode here. <laughs> He's getting into the mode. <laughs> All right, I'm in the mode now. He's in the mode. <laughs> Nada, a wanderer without meaning in his life, discovers a pair of sunglasses capable of showing the world the way it truly is. As he walks the streets of Los Angeles, Nada notices that both the media and the government are comprised of subliminal messages meant to keep the population subdued, and that most of the social elite are skull-faced aliens bent on world domination. With this shocking discovery, Nada fights to free humanity from the mind-controlling aliens. It's They Live. It's They Live. <laughs> Timely. Did they ever call him Nada in the movie? No. No, that's, that's kind of the thing. Um, there's only one character in the whole movie, and I believe it is, um, uh, what was the actress's name? Holly. It was, yeah, Meg, Meg Foster's character who mm -hmm. has a name, like a whole name. A whole you know, name. everyone else is either referred to I think as... They call, I think they call um, Keith David's character Frank. Yeah, well, it, I mean, he's, he has a first name, but that's the only character that has, like, a full, like, name. First and like last. Like, a first and a last name. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and they used it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, like, pretty much every time they, every time mm -hmm. they saw it, right? But, yeah, um, no, character-wise, that's kind of an interesting thing with... Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. It's hard for me to just call him Roddy Piper. Yeah, it's always got to be Rowdy Roddy. Don't do it. Rowdy Roddy Piper's character because... He would want you to call him Rowdy. He, yes, he would. Um, he told me in a dream last night because mm -hmm. he knew we were doing this today. So right. uh, we got to respect his wishes, Ghost Rowdy Roddy Piper. I'm going to call him Ghost Rowdy Roddy Piper for the rest of the podcast. I do love that. See, see how long that that holds up. But <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, that was kind of a really striking thing to me. Um, and, and one of the reasons I think early on that I really like gravitated towards this film is that the character he inhabits is not a character, you know, kind of unnamed character is such an everyman. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of refreshing because especially in a lot of the eighties centric kind of action films that we were all reared on, right. Or that we watched or that, uh, you know, were a big part of our DNA, I guess, being from where we're from. And it's kind of mm -hmm. a, a thing, right. Most of those characters are, extraordinary people right they're they're soldiers they're mm -hmm. they're heroes they're war heroes or they're you know whatever like they have some sort of backstory um and it's interesting to me that we're following this character that very much is just kind of this traveling roving wanderer 
everyman character. We don't really know much about his past at all. Uh, we just kind of are, he's a, a cipher for us in this world and we're just kind of living through his experiences and in a lot of ways he's living directly through his eyes, which is a big kind of central conceit in the movie. Uh, so, you know, that immediately drew me in. I love that intro sequence where it's just him kind of being a vagabond, you know, he, he arrives in town and what I would assume would be, you know, Los Angeles arrives in town and he's just kind of scoping things out and, you know, taking his time and kind of doing the Rambo thing. You know, he's just, uh, <laughs> he's got his knapsack on his back and he's just, you know, riding the rails, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. What'd you guys think about that? An introduction to this world. Yeah. This movie, um, is, uh, is actually near and dear to me. I, I, I saw this, um, many, many years ago and, um, it's always just kind of been in the back of my mind. Um, and that intro sequence to me, I don't know, rewatching it, uh, just, it felt so much longer when I was younger. I don't know what reason for that, but I just felt like he was wandering around forever. And, uh, you know, it, it's possible or probable that he, his character was wandering around forever, but, um, you know, he, he makes it, uh, let's, let's say LA, you know, palm trees, West coast kind of thing, Hollywood Hills. Um, and he's just, he's going around and it's, um, man, this, I, I can't wait to actually dissect the meat of this movie. Um, but it's a great intro sequence really kind of, you know, digs you into this world. You know, he's gone off to the VA, he's trying to find work. He goes off to this, you know, homeless camp, um, really just excellent world building right in the first five, 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Really, really dives you just throws you into it <laughs> absolutely yeah I, I think that's like one of those things that john carpenter is so good at is uh just this like widescreen presentation of whatever his worlds are you know he, he's so good at setting the, the the mood and setting the scene i think for his just overarching um like tale he wants to tell you know and, and this one because granted, as I said, this has been a long time since I've watched this movie, but this one's also very near and dear to me. Uh, this was one of my dad's favorite movies. And yeah. I remember watching this when I was way too young to be watching Rowdy Roddy mm -hmm. Piper blow people away with shotguns. <laughs> but but that was his, it was his way. You know, it would just, mm -hmm. oh, this is cool. Check it out. And I was like five years old going, not that scary, you know. <laughs> but um, but yeah, no. So I always remember this fondly. But, you know, I think that. um it, it is, it, it, especially with the score. You know, I said that kind of in, in the intro, those like really bluesy strains that kind of play. It's, it's almost like that droney bluesy motif that keeps playing, coupled with the imagery you're seeing of this kind of guy who seems kind of down on his luck, but, you know, also trying to stay positive at the same time. So much is, I feel like, really um, told visually through the visuals and the music and not even so much at any, you know, dialogue. I mean, granted that being said, very little kind of dialogue from our lead here in the film at all, but so much of it is, is really uh, portrayed, I think very well, just through the atmosphere and through the visuals. And that's something John Carpenter's great at. So yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, awesome way to kind of get you into the movie. Yeah. They, a lot of movies from the same genre are similar, um, similar, stylized movies wouldn't have that much of a uh developed you know an intro to the the main characters you know he didn't need any of that and he was still mysterious as far as his background as a whole you know he talked about mm -hmm. his dad a little bit and he says something about had a rough couple of days 
he didn't really give anything else away, but it, you still felt connected to him. Like you were, well, you know, along with him, not just, he didn't just show up and start getting involved in all this nonsense. Like, mm -hmm. you worked a day with him, you know, watched him go trying to find other work and all that. <clears throat> Made you feel invested in a way that kind of surprised me, you know? It's my first mm -hmm. full watch of it, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say, you had said you had never seen this all the way through before. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen clips, you know? It's hard mm -hmm. not to, but uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't realize how much commentary there was. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's the thing with this movie, you know, uh, and specifically this movie. I mean, it kind of is a common thread through a lot of John Carpenter's films. You know, he's very much a satirical sort of filmmaker, in mm -hmm. much the same way that, uh, um, you know, I would say, like uh, Romero was. You know, in in the kind of zombie verse. Right. Mm -hmm. He kind of did the same thing. Um, I, I think looked at a lot of societal issues or ills and kind of took a stance on that. And, and you know, he ha has an opinion and his opinion comes through in his his art. You know, he's making these movies that are meant to be uh, consumed by the masses. Right. And, and seen in movie theaters and, you know, buy tickets and popcorn and whatnot. Right. Make money, but also uh, trying to kind of uh, in interject his own message your own point of view in there which is which is kind of cool so yeah um with that being said you know i think as you said you've seen clips you know th this is one of those movies that's like simultaneously it, there's like two or three scenes that always get brought up in all the best of lists and stuff right which mm -hmm. we'll, we'll talk about and then it's also such a quotable movie too i forgot how funny <laughs> some of the shit is in there like it just hits so like perfectly even now which is great i think that's yeah. kind of the mark of um something that's like quote unquote timeless right because it's you you can watch it 30 plus years later and it still hits and you still laugh and it's yeah. not so much even laughing like laughing like oh this is bad or this is cheesy it's more like oh that's that's funny like they don't give a shit mm -hmm. you know <laughs> that type yeah. of stuff so. i was there were parts of this movie where i even now and just like the scene is coming up and then it just hits my memory and I just start belly laughing as loud as I possibly can because I'm like, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Life's a bitch and she's back in heat. <laughs> that blew my mind. Uh, what a line. He said that. Oh, I know. It blew it's, my mind. It's too good. I'm like, just, I did not remember that yeah, one. Yeah, the one line. But I do man. remember. I do remember, you better put on those glasses or start eating that trash can. <laughs> yeah. Not this year. Yeah. Oh, it's hilarious. So, so yeah. Um, well, so we kind of talked about the intro of the movie there. So, you know, we're introduced to our characters. We're introduced to Frank, mm -hmm. who right off the bat is kind of this uh, very sympathetic character. Seems like he's just a good guy oh. trying to do the right thing, kind of dealing with these struggles. But what I, what I thought was really interesting is, too... You know, we're immediately uh, the the lens that we're kind of viewing this movie through is through the the these working class and kind of I I hesitate to use the term lower class, but I guess in the class hierarchy of the film, they're perceived as or seen by the powers that be as like the lower class people or the working class people or like the working poor people. Um, we we kind of see the the plight of these people and see how common that seems like it's become. You know. And I think that in and of itself is a uh, a critique and, a, you know, a, a main kind of point of the film, which we can talk about. But we're seeing a lot of that through all of those characters in the beginning. And then, you know, we get to the um, I guess it would be kind of like the the I, it's not really a campsite. Right. We get to like the village 
where there's the mission and, you know, the folks are providing all the the uh, homeless individuals with, you know, food and uh, kind of warm place to, to stay and hang their head or whatever um, or hang their hat. And that's kind of where our character falls into the, the main conceit here of discovering this, which he didn't really know at the time, this resistance movement and discovering the glasses, which is, you know, the, the main thing that this movie is known for, which uh, I think that sequence will probably, you know, we talk at length about that, how incredible that is. But, what, uh, what, you know, what did you guys think just in terms of the setup there? Because I think that's where really the, the sci-fi and social commentary starts becoming more apparent kind of the type of movie you're going to get here versus maybe a lot of folks in 1988 going into it thinking that this is going to be like uh what was the uh like like commando or something like that you know like some like just action movie and it's gonna be rowdy rowdy piper just kicking ass and whatnot and and maybe the wouldn't be something that kind of gum yeah chewing bubble gum potentially if he's got any (laughs) left but most likely kicking ass um you know what'd you guys think about that as you kind of move through the 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 sequence of the plot and everything kind of that that whole chain there where we we see those folks kind of how they're living and uh what carpenter in the movie is trying to say about that yeah i think there's the commentary is pretty in your face there you know um but i think the aspects of it that are less uh less straightforward are the the way the characters react to it you know it's so the commentary is so loud in the world that the way the characters, you know, differ in their takes on things is really where the, I feel like the, um, the underbelly of the commentary is the mm-hmm. characters starting out like we should just have a great optimism and, and just try to have a good outlook and your day will come. And then the other guy's like, yeah, whatever. And then as soon as, uh, you know, shit starts going down, Nada is like, you should, we should be paying attention to this. And oh, I already forgot his name. Keith David's character. Frank. Uh, Frank. 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 Um, <clears throat> Frank David. Frank David. He, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Frank, Frank Keith David. Frank Keith David. Got more first names than Colin. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> more God first damn. names than Colin. Uh, he is immediately is like, oh, no, I'm just going to stay in my lane, you know. Keep your get, head down. Go to my day job or whatever. Not as like, yeah, but you can't like if this is happening to our camp, like it's right in front of us. And he's like, nope, you told me to be optimistic. I'm just going to stay in my lane. Like that. That's where, you know, and how hard he fights to stay out of it. Literally. Yeah. yeah like that, that ridiculous fight scene. Watching it out of context, you know, that's that's one of the obviously one of the clips that I'd seen before. And I knew yeah. it was coming, but watching it in context this time had a different tone, you know, because it's like, wow, he's. Mm-hmm. he's like brawling he's got a smashed bottle in his hand like they're brawling to no end just so that he stays out of it you know like that's mm-hmm. the extent that he'll go to to keep his head out of the politics yeah. of it and like you know just try and keep his head down it's crazy mm-hmm. yeah absolutely yeah. Um, well the truth hurts you know I mean it, and, and in this case it literally does um, I mean my god it takes a, an almost six minute fight scene for, for Keith David to be, you know, forced to uh, put on the glasses and kind of see the world for what it is. And um, I don't know. I mean, this, this movie was made in 88. Um, if you look on the Wikipedia page, um, it, w- it was almost a refutation of, uh, you know, the Reagan era. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of what um, 
John Carpenter viewed as a, a, an era of excess and stuff like that, you know. And, and I mean, we all we all know the 1980s culture uh, by this point, you know, in 2022. Um, but I think there's a fairly modern viewing of it where, you know, I mean, the, the truth really hurts and coming, you know, even in, especially in modern times, everybody's so set in their ways that they're not willing to look at the world objectively for what it is. So I, I, I mean, you're, you're going to write on the point there, you know, Mark, I mean, the, the, the truth really hurts in, in this case, physically. It, there was a, a scene uh, is kind of right about, you know, where, where we we're talking about when it's literally, I think like a sunset scene, right. And it's Frank and Nada and they're standing there and knowing, you know, ha having seen this movie before and being very familiar with the plot and, what was going to happen. You know, I, I went into the, the viewing pretty much remembering exactly what was going to happen, when it was going to happen and all that. Right. It's not very complex movie in, in that, those regards. There was one line that really like struck me, really struck me and like made me go, wow, you know, this was almost prophetic for kind of the, the world we find ourselves in today. Right. And that was uh, Nada saying, I believe in America. Mm hmm. And that just really was interesting because I didn't remember that. That's like some of the minutia when you're watching something and you're, you know, 10 years old or whatever, you're, you, you don't pick up on those types of things. But I think that line is, is just so telling because as it was written in, in 88 and then, um, you know, I, I guess looking back at all the things that have happened in the world, positive, negative, neutral, whatever, in the intervening 30 plus years. It's interesting, you know, it's like that point Miller just made a, a minute ago and that I, I'm inclined to agree with. What we've seen, I think, regardless of what side of the fence you're on, it's not you know, a political podcast, so we're not going to go there and say that you, people are right or wrong or whatever. But no matter what side of the fence you, you find yourself on ideologically, there's this loss of objectivity to where it's so hard to have any sort of discourse nowadays because we're not looking at the same world as, as our neighbor. And I love how this movie plays on that. And that scene where he puts those glasses on for the first time and all of a sudden is seeing this different world and kind of cutting through the signal, cutting through the bullshit is just so powerful. And I know that's why, uh, you know, th this one's routinely cited in all sorts of philosophical treatises on, um, the, you know, state of the world and objective reality and, you know, talking about, uh, you know, not only political philosophy, but talking about, you know, consumption and consumerism and how we, uh, wh what is it? Uh, I think one of the scenes, it's uh, dollar bills and it says, this is your God, you know, things that we ascribe mm -hmm. importance to and things that we don't. So that's one of the big things for me that I really gravitate towards with this movie and its message is that um, refutation of an, a, a true like objective reality, right? That we all live in, that we're all looking at the same thing uh, when in reality, yeah, maybe we, you know, if I open up a magazine right now, it doesn't have some subliminal message in there that's telling me in giant, you know, 50 size font obey, but we do that with so many other things and those messages are so ingrained to coerce us to buy things or to think in certain ways or to you know 
pursue things that are supposedly cool, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or things that will give us status or give us whatever we kind of crave in that society. It's, I I just love sci-fi like this. That is so like, it's, it's speculative, but it's also interesting to like look back and then to see it kind of come true, not maybe as deliberately or as specifically as it is in this movie, but like a lot of this shit has happened, you know, and it's just really crazy to me whenever we bounce into a property like that, where you're like, whoa, <laughs> like that's yeah. very, very prescient. So, yeah. Um, what do you guys think yeah. of that? The famous scene? Cause we're kind of there now, like the, the awakening, uh, as it were, you know, or not a putting on the glasses and that whole yeah. part of the movie. Well, you're, I mean, you're a hundred percent correct. Um, and and of course, this is set in the one place in America that, you know, this could be reasonably set in to give that much of a diverse uh, perspective. You've got on the one side, this homeless camp, just people trying to make it versus these wealthy elites, the excess, you know, the um, the drifter from the beginning of the movie showing up at the end. And he's like, I didn't know you guys, <laughs> you know, it's like. Wow, just the the one the 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 hundred percent reversal of fortunes right there it is um i mean it's a stark contrast, and it's definitely i mean this, this, i mean I almost feel like this was set in California on purpose, you know i mean you've got the you've got the homeless on the one side, the wealthy elite on the other side it's um yeah, we live next to Chicago. And New York is, you know, any big city like L.A. is going to have. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I, I was just in Vegas. It's like you're walking down mm-hmm. Fremont Street and there's like people dumping hundreds of dollars at a time on the tables. And, mm-hmm. you know, 100 feet away, walk through the doors and there's a guy selling hand hand folded pieces of paper trying to, you know, get food. Well, the one like seen in my life thus far, right. That will always stick with me because it just blew my mind because it was the first time I was really confronted with anything like this last fall. As you both know, I went to Los Angeles with, you know, one of the bands I'm in and played a show Mm -hmm. and it was a really great time. I'd never been that far from home. I'd never been to the coast or anything like that. And to me, all I'd seen of LA is in movies and TV shows, right? So you have mm-hmm. a, a certain kind of uh, predefined notion of what it's going to be. And, you know, a lot of it was exactly as you see it and, and nothing was surprising there. But I distinctly remember driving through neighborhoods and there's like these, you know, million dollar homes and million dollars mm-hmm. there is like a normal size house. That's like my house, you know, which is far from a million dollars. And in front of it on the street is a tent and someone lives in the tent Mm -hmm. and that's their home. Mm -hmm. And that was just that like dichotomy was so mind blowing to me because you think like that can't exist. Like how does, how does that exist in our modern world with all of our modern, uh, you know, um, advancements and, and those types of things. But to see that sort of, um, not only inequality, but just like that, that gap there between that, the quote unquote haves and have nots, you know, was really just jarring. And, and that image will stick with me forever because it's yeah. just so 
And, and I think this movie, more than many, many others, does such a good job examining that and kind of like, yeah, it doesn't go, I guess, as deep as it could go because it's still nominally, you know, this kind of action sci-fi film, right? And it's John Carpenter or whatever, but it's like some really heady kind of makes you stop and think stuff that, that it's tackling and talking about. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. John Carpenter's definitely making a commentary. Um, and, and, and I mean that, that kind of situation, I mean, it, it's 2020 now, you know I mean? The homeless situation was bad back then. I can only imagine to what extent it's ballooned to now, you know, I mean, for every one of those million dollar Hollywood homes, you know, I I'd venture to say there's probably 20 to 50 of those homeless tents or camps out in that area. It's really, it's, it's a, it's a real tragedy. It's a real mismanagement of, um, uh, California, um, resources and whatnot. It, it's, it's, it, these are, they're, they're bizarre times. That's for sure. And they've only gotten stranger since 1988. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think, you know, it, as we said too, it's like we're following these characters that are supposed to be kind of these everyman. You know, they're they're working men, they're construction workers, they're just kind of picking up odd jobs. They're they work with their hands, right? You know, they're they're laborers. They're not people who necessarily have, um, you know, education beyond high school, if that. You know, and and I think it's interesting because to me, like we look back at these bygone eras, right? Or these bygone chapters of America. And I know there's the, this big kick of nostalgia where, uh, I, I won't use the phrase, but you know, there, there's a big kick from nostalgia where it's like looking back and all things were better back then and whatever. And, you know, I don't think that's the case at all personally, but you know, <laughs> the questions here to me, at least the part of the way I analyze this, I guess is, is is there an America for these people, you know, for these individuals? Like, I think our, you know, character Nada says, and I just referenced a, a little bit ago here, like, I believe in America, but what version of America does he believe in? Does he believe in the America of the, you know, yuppie alien invaders, right? Or does he believe in the promise of he can make a living and, and do the right thing by the, you know, the sweat of his brow and is, you know, the, the work, work, uh, his hands can accomplish, you know, I think it shows like what he's, he's doing the construction work and he's breaking rocks with a hammer and, you know, all that sort of stuff. Like, is there a place for that? And will there be a place for that type of labor going forward? You know, um, I know that that's kind of a subtext thing. That's not really like thrown in your face. They're not really, uh, Eric Carpenter isn't really analyzing that in depth, but he included it, you know, and I think it's a, it's an important part of the movie. Um, you know, that being said, I guess as time goes on and our character Nada has this kind of awakening, right? And he sees all these things. He kind of goes on that rampage scene, which I think the, the rampage is just so interesting to me because it would be one thing if they just showed all of the, you know, powers that be the police, whatever, as aliens, but they're not right. So I think the the mm -hmm. next thing that kind of comes into play is, well, no, a lot of individuals know what's going on and they just sell out right they they sell themselves to the system instead of remaining idealistic or remaining um human or or retaining that humanity they just say hey yeah you know what 
whatever you want me to do. If it gives me uh, some more gold in my coffers or whatever, uh, I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. And I think that's also Carpenter in a lot of ways kind of shining the mirror back on the audience and saying, we're all complicit in this. You can say you're not, but we all are. What does the one character say? Uh, we sell out every day. <laughs> yeah, we, exactly. we sell out every day. I was day, just right? thinking the same thing. Which yeah. is a great, what's, what's a great line. A little bit. Yeah. Great writing, great line. Apparently, that was something an executive had said to John Carpenter of this movie. Believe it, totally. And he just wrote it. Yeah, he wrote it <laughs> yep. in. Um, I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, the the sellout aspect, the uh, the feign ignorance sort of aspect of it. You know, it's like I'm going to be complicit in this for for my own benefit, or you know, maybe if I play dumb, um, I'll I'll you know be invited into the inner circle. I think there's an also I think there's also an aspect of um what they call the uh the useful idiot the person who aligns themselves with the cause without 100% fully understanding the end goals um you know yet it, so many of these humans align themselves with the aliens not even fully comprehending that once the planet is depleted of resources it's done it's over Maybe not in their lifetime, but eventually the the earth will be depleted of its natural resources, be that, you know, um, physical, tangible resources, gold, oil, petroleum, what, what have you, or, or the, uh, the resources of human beings themselves. You could almost look at human beings as a resource based on um the beginning of the movie you know they've got these people who are you know coming to build this building and people come and i assume people go you know not as begging you know essentially hey can i have a job and he's just he's just a he's a natural resource in here you know to the foreman so there you know there, there's definitely that aspect of people who are un, unknowingly complicit with the uh the major plot of the movie Damn, Miller, that was tasty. Thank I you love, for that. I, 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 every once in a while, I pull it out. No, that was, um, that I was great. It. Yeah, I mean, you know, that, it's so good, though, because even that scene where they show the, uh, you know, the, the alien businessman, whatever, blasting off to Alpha mm -hmm. Centauri uh, or whatever <laughs> he's doing, right? Um, and that was the scene, too, that really, it was so, not to, like, jump ahead, but that was so disorienting. When they go into the tunnels, because yeah. you're like, where the actual fuck are they? Yeah. Are they I'm yeah. thinking they're underground, but then there's space there. So are they like on the moon? Are they in a space station? Mm -hmm. Are they, you know, like it, that was that was really kind of cool because yeah. it just they're in a banquet hall and then they're in the news station. Yeah, yeah right. It just totally plays <laughs> with your sense it's of place. Just all right. Over the so, place. so that was brilliant, mm -hmm. too. I, I love that whole scene. But like it's it's interesting. Yeah, because. A lot of the times I feel like we're sold this narrative that. Um, and it happens specifically with if we want to use like natural resources as an example because i think that's the the easy one here that's the low-hanging fruit but mm -hmm. there's a lot of other potential examples you could use like oh yeah this is going to be great uh the oil company is going to come into this um you know native area whatever right where the people are maybe subsistence farmers or they're you know just kind of living their lives and they're doing the best they can to just provide for their families or their community uh someone finds that they're a great home for some natural resource, say there's oil reserves or there's some sort of, uh, you know, natural resource that's valuable there. There's uh, trees, wood, water, whatever, right? 
the company comes in and says that uh, this is going to bring prosperity to your community. This is going to be, you know, a great kind of boon to really Mm -hmm. help you, you know, get to the next level and, and, uh, you know, hopefully improved opportunities for your, your people and, and healthcare and technology and prosperity and all these things will come along. But just like you said a minute ago, Miller, at some point, all the trees are going to be gone, or at some point, the oil reserve is going to be gone, or the process of extracting that oil is going to damage the ecosystem irrevocably to where mm-hmm. the area is uninhabitable or people are going to get sick or whatever. And most of the time, unfortunately, and history has shown, there's less of a consideration for those aspects of things and more of a consideration for the, let's strip mine it and let's make a buck while it's profitable. But mm-hmm. it's never really considered that, hey, yeah, 50 years from now when the boom is over, uh, this area yeah. is going to be completely famished and, and you know, uh, barren. And all the folks are going to either be gone because they'll have to leave because there's no more opportunity or they'll get sick and die or whatever. Yeah. And then that company or whatever is going to leave and then kind of leave whatever is in its wake. I mean, the area we live in and the area we come from is very, God, I was just going to yeah, say, I mean, you can go there. I'm not trying to steal Indiana. your thunder, but you know, that's a, a case in point there as well, which I think is just like, wow, you know, really, really um, telling of kind of the last half century of American history, certainly our American history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, yeah, and I'll let Mark get to this right after, but yeah, I mean, we live right next to, I, I mean, it, as in particularly me, I live right next to Gary, you know, and, and Frank's, you know, um, Keith David's character, Frank says it succinctly. I I'm from Detroit, you know, we gave the steel companies a break when, um, when they needed it. And what did they give themselves? Big raises, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's just a, a whole I mean, they're mining, they're mining for, for, you know, metal to turn into steel, but I mean, they're, they're really mining the human soul down in there. I want Mark go. Yeah, I think, uh, well, that was Detroit was car plants mostly, right? That was that big. Well, car, yeah, I mean, car plants. Well, really our whole region, you know, the Rust Belt, mm -hmm. it was steel manufacture and, uh, the steel manufacturer would feed the automobile plants and, you know, just yep. industry in general, right? That was such a big part of our regional heritage and history. And that mm-hmm. led to that same sort of boom that I guess, uh, I didn't even put A and B together until we, we got arrived there in the conversation, but led to that boom that really was responsible for the creation of our, like, communities, right? And areas and, and how many mm-hmm. people when we were growing up, oh yeah, work at the mills or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then that way of life kind of slowly but surely vanishes because the companies that are in charge um, have other goals or they make other decisions that don't necessarily involve all those, um, you know, folks that have built their lives up around that sort of sense of community that comes around that industry. Right. So it's kind of the same type of thing. I think that uh, Carpenter is analyzing in They Live. It's that idea and, and kind of talking through the aliens, um, the, the they, right? Like the they, that's a good one. The, the they um, <laughs> being this force that really doesn't care. They have their own ends. They're using humanity, but in a lot of ways, humanity is complicit or you know that that i feel like that character that we were just talking about a minute ago when he says like yeah there's no there's no good guys and bad guys anymore they they run everything they they run the world 
you know, they run every country. Mm-hmm. Just that, that sense that it's too far gone or that it's hopeless, I think is another part to me that pervades like modern thought right on it. Like that's kind of where a lot of folks are at in 2022. Unfortunately, you look at all the things, Jesus, even in the last two years that we've all experienced, right? Pandemic, war, inflation, all these issues, everyone's just trying to go about their lives, try to do the best they can for themselves, their families, um, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully have a good uh, or, or a good, if not standard of living quality of life to where they, they can kind of do the things that they want to do. And they're at least healthy and, you know, at least have a, a roof over their head and some warmth and enough food and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think so many people are hopeless because it feels like the system is such it's it's immovable, right? It, it's mm-hmm. it can't be changed at this point because it's just how it is and how it's been and how it's always going to be. So I think there's a lot of apathy out there and a lot of um, kind of playing along or playing into the system. And to me, that is kind of what this movie was prophetic about is it's it's a cautionary tale, right? It's because obviously at the end of this movie, uh, things are kind of shown to be what they really are. And in a lot of ways, I think we now have the ability to do that. We kind of have the ability to pull the curtain back, right? See the man behind the curtain and see uh, how things are being run, how things affect us, et cetera, et cetera. But everyone is just kind of complicit in it. Mm-hmm. I don't know, not not to be like, uh, um, you know, nihilistic <laughs> or whatever, but it, everyone's kind of complicit in it. No, you're right. I mean, people are so concerned with their their TikToks and their, uh, you know, Instagrams and shit like that, that um, they, they don't see what's right in front of them. You know, um, my God, I mean, we, we've got celebrities who are, you know, out out in the open committing these crimes or, 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 you know, back, maybe, maybe backdoor and, uh, everybody knows it. It's, it's not, it's not a secret and nobody cares. Nobody seems to care. Nobody, uh, you know, these, these people are held accountable, you know, in, in very small bursts. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a strange era that we live in. I think if, if, if John Carpenter were able to see a portal into the future, that would kind of give him the vision of 2022, you know, let, let's say, you know, between 2018 and 2022, he would be like, well, shit, you know, like this whole, this whole movie, the whole thesis of this movie that I'm trying to push has already come to pass. You know, uh, 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 the, the, the aliens are here. They invaded. I mean, what did they say in the movie by 2025? They're expecting not only America, but the world to be under this control. And I mean, if you look at the world, the state of the world now, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty bleak. If you, uh, if you open your eyes for longer than 30 seconds, yeah, well, you could almost make a sequel, right. And just pick up <laughs> yeah. in you 2022, right. It, where yeah. this movie left mm-hmm. off. <laughs> the exactly. fact that we have so much more access to, um, all this information and there's a lot more for us to digest and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that the state of the world is basically the same as it was at the end in the time of this making, mm-hmm. like this movie's making, you know, like that it's not yeah. or worse. Yeah. I mean, it's like that, that Orwellian idea, right. Or a lot of the things we, yeah. we bumped into with, uh, um, I guess I'll go back to the first matrix movie. Sorry. The, the good matrix movie. 
I'll go back to the good <laughs> Matrix movie and say that, you know, there's that scene with, I think it was Cypher, where he goes, you know, ignorance is bliss or like the steak, right? right. Oh, yeah, I love a mm-hmm. juicy steak, right? And yeah. that's kind of what the, to me, the whole Orwellian inspired thing or, or school of thought when it comes to science fiction really like dives into or comes from. You can have all of these great technological advancements. We've got so much information at our fingertips. You know, mm-hmm. I, just a person with a phone in their pockets is a genius by the standards of the 1700s or the 1800s, oh, yeah. you know, or the early 1900s. I mean, we've got so many, so many uh, just or so much, I should say, scientific knowledge and just knowledge of the world and medicine and biology and physics and just so many things we understand now. but it's at some level we're still kind of victims of like the human condition i guess you could say and it's very hard to break out of that regardless of how much access to that type of knowledge or information we have how readily available it is because then it almost becomes the um you know we're and i want to say this is in the movie somewhere there but the um kind of just let us destroy ourselves type thing you know there's this notion that we're going to faction off and it's going to be a us versus them sort of mentality right or the the other we're we're constantly i think doing that and putting people into groups and well they're they're different than me they don't think the same way as as i do or my family does or whatever whether it's politically philosophically your ideology your religion whatever and then that leads to all the splintering that kind of keeps humanity separated. Whereas I think in, in the best of positive science fiction, like the Star Treks and those types of things, we've put those differences aside and then can reach these greater heights, literally and figuratively uh, as a species to kind of explore new things and see new things. But I think the idea here that's being presented by, by Carpenter and, and really the thesis of the movie is that if we can never really get beyond that, and ascend in some way as as a species right then we're kind of doomed to this life where you know we're never we if we don't give everyone that sort of access i guess or take these things seriously then we're doomed to kind of be stuck in this um what's the analogy i'm going for here we're kind of in like one of those ant terrariums you know we and and we're just Mm -hmm that that that's it you know that's yep. that's our planet and as miller said and i love that point i think that's great that's like the point of the podcast to me like at some point there's not going to be anything left so it's really how we treat each other now and mm-hmm. what we say as a species and what we accomplish you know as opposed to really focusing more on our differences mm-hmm I, I feel like a lot of people, and, and this is getting, you know, this is about as political as I'll get, you know, for the podcast, but I feel like if a lot of people kind of just opened their eyes and looked at the world as it is objectively, they, they'd realize they're all on the same side. You know, they're, they're all, you know, we've all been deluded, you know, we've all uh, not put on the glasses, even though people were beating us up to, to try and put on the glasses, but... I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I think we all want what's best, but, uh, you know, it's it's just... How, how complicit are you willing to be in this? How much are you willing to sell out, so to speak? Yeah, it's hard because in, in a lot of those ways, like we've been saying too, it's, it's 
kind of the individual against the collective, right? It's the person against the system. And the system, a lot of times, I think, seems so insurmountable that it's very yeah. easy to be complicit. You know, I'm complicit every day. And if given the choice, maybe I wouldn't be. But I think we all operate within that framework, whether we'd like to or not, just because that's what we know. And I think mm-hmm. that's what the movie's trying to say. You know, there's, a, there's a danger in that. It's not to say that it isn't normal. Because it is normal, right? It, it, by design, it's normal, but there's also an inherent danger in not questioning things, I guess, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, like I said, absolutely love this movie. I'm glad we were able to finally oh, yeah. do it. Is there anything else? You know, I, I know we kind of talked in broad <laughs> strokes about a lot of the things. Um, we could talk about the six minute fight scene. There isn't really anything science fiction about that, I guess, except for maybe the velocity of the punches not really making sense <laughs> when uh, they're. They're smacking each other in the head. But, um, you know, obviously the movie ends with our, our hero, Nada, um, and Frank both kind of giving their lives for the cause here. Mm-hmm. I think the, the great last scene of Rowdy Roddy, ghost Rowdy Roddy Piper flipping off the, uh, the aliens in the, the helicopter as the signal explodes is kind of a cool F you. Um, also, I love just how goofy John Carpenter ends this movie where there's like the, the alien, like, uh, sex scene is like the last scene in the movie. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. well, what's wrong, baby? Like that's so funny. Like what a random way to it end the movie. Incredible. But, but it also is perfect. It's a perfect way to end the movie because it's just like yeah, like they're 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 here. It's so ingrained, right? Um, mm-hmm. it's it's just a great way to end it, and just so like random. Uh, it's not like <laughs> it's showing like the world waking up. It's not like the Independence Day ending, you know, where it's like the world is everyone's uh or like what it like uh. Return of the Jedi ending or whatever, where mm-hmm. everyone's dancing and oh, the signal's gone. Yippee doo! Oh, kill the aliens, whatever. Send them back home to Alpha Centauri. Like it's just, <laughs> just kind of also to me seems like really. You said like, Andromeda, right? Yeah, Andromeda, whatever. Like really, just grimy and 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 dirty and kind of like in fitting with the way the movie kind of presents the rest of the world. So I, I really appreciated that. But is there anything else before we do? the trademark thing that we are known for all across the land. Is there anything else you guys want to bring up about the movie? Uh, the only thing that I, that we didn't talk about was, I mean, they, they barely touched on it in the movie, but they, they mentioned the environmental impact as well. Um, they made some joke about it, uh, being, um, sorry, cat debuff on my desk. Uh, they made some, some comment about it being, um the aliens making the environment more habitable for themselves by raising you know carbon emissions and and greenhouse gases and all that seemingly a decade in the in the future as far as that being as big of a movie as it is that was talking about you know environmental impact in that way that was also like they had so much other commentary going on that was just like popped in there real quick but uh, I did enjoy that, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, that was the thing. It was so all-encompassing, and I think it all was in service of that world-building, right? Like, it felt really like a tangible, like, analog to our real world, but then with all these sci-fi kind of fantastical concepts sprinkled in. And the biggest thing to me that is why I think this movie's a classic is none of it seems like out of the realm of possibility. Like, it's all it all fits in. It all makes sense. 
you know, it, there's nothing that's like really strange about the newscast you're seeing. It sounds like a regular newscast, but when you watch the mm-hmm. newscast through the glasses and you see that it's like some weird alien creature, all of a sudden it takes on that more sinister vibe because it's like, well, that's what that's what my evening news sounded like tonight. Mm-hmm. But what's the goal or are they trying to frame the story in a different way to make it, you know, that type of shit. What are they not telling you? What are they not telling you or or what's the context here, you know? Yeah, the 24-hour news cycle and pulling attention away from things. the fucking 24-hour news cycle. Absolutely. Picking and choosing what they want everyone to be focusing on, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, Well, yeah, no, that's all all great stuff. Great conversation, guys. Um, I think we should do Good sci-fi, bad sci-fi now. Uh, trademark patent pending. Um, I filed the trademark, but I filed it under my name only, so you guys have to pay me once uh, that oh, patent boy. goes through and we use it on the podcast. Everyone's got to pay me five bucks every time that word is uttered. And I did it retroactively, too. So for all previous 340 episodes, uh, every time we do good sci-fi, bad sci-fi, you guys have to pay me. Well, joke's on you. I uh, copyrighted uh, the word magnanimous. So right, I'll pay you in a uh, I'll pay you in lab box. Sounds good. I'm Mark. Uh, I'm muted again. Damn it, Mark. <laughs> I was gonna say <laughs> Mark almost uh, ruined my bit, but uh, he didn't because his cat knew better and muted him again. Um, so <laughs> we're gonna muted. muted, yeah, muted, quote unquote. So we're gonna do good sci-fi, bad sci-fi, and we're gonna start with the boy, Marky Mackie Butger Botger boy. The oh man, boy. I get five names now. That's more than Ghost Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Yeah. <laughs> um, Fuck yeah. Great, great sci-fi. Um, in, incredible, really. I mean, the, the amount of fun that they have with this movie while still getting across all these pretty, um, pretty heavy concepts, you know. They make mm-hmm. it super approachable. It's not super high concept, you know. They don't really get into the science. The most sciencey thing they say is uh, gravitational lens, and even then, they're like, oh, "I don't really understand any of that nonsense." Like, <laughs> the hell is that? that like a lens in your glasses? What the hell is that gravitational lens? Oh man! So it's like it's a super approachable sci-fi film that touches on some just wildly heavy concepts, you know. And they do a great job of, you know, making us want to watch it again twenty, thirty years later, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, fantastic sci-fi, love it. Then out then. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> now we'll go to uh, Andrew Miller. I was gonna come up with something witty, but I don't. I I, I don't. So <laughs> Andrew Miller. Hey, no, no worries. Andrew Will hey, Smith. Miller. Um, woo, woo, keep my fucking <laughs> name out your mouth. <laughs> um, smack. Um. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm stealing. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to steal your review here, Jason. But uh, I mean, I would put this in our our, our echelon of magnanimous sci-fi. Uh, I mean, this is. I, I, I when when I found out we were doing this movie, I'm like, oh my god, yes, I love this movie, and it holds up. You know, I mean, it was poignant back then. It's still poignant now if you view it through uh, the correct lens. Um, I loved watching it. Um, I, I did wish we had talked a little bit more about the humor aspects of it or or the whole like it seems like there was about 10 or 15 20 minutes where they just let rowdy rowdy pipe ghost rowdy rowdy piper say whatever he wanted yeah <laughs> especially during that un- unbelievable fight scene i mean this 
this movie's iconic for so many reasons, and uh, and one of those one of those reasons is that damn fight scene. Um, but I think we had a really good discussion. Uh, we talked a lot about like the the poignant bits, um, and I mean I stand by it. You know, I mean this is one of the greats, one of the, one of the greatest. Pro- this is probably top what top top twenty sci-fi films of all time. I would put it in mine for sure. Um, you know, I uh, yeah, I yeah, yeah, not. Absolutely. Not to, not to, yeah, I, I guess to like segue there, but like, no, I, that's, same, yeah, I mean, that's same my thing. Piece. I, I would Excellent. say magnanimous, magnanimous sci-fi, you know, and, and that's mm-hmm. the thing too. Like if you look at the movie, just in pure movie sense of like, oh yeah, is this like, you know, saving private Ryan level of filmmaking? Like, no, but it's, I think that's part of what makes it so great. It's such a grounded movie. It's fun, Right. But it also balances that with having something to say and doing it in a, in a way that's really well done mm-hmm. and well thought out, right? It's like it's like one of those really good, like pop songs that to to use this analogy, I guess it's it's like a it's a it's a four minute long, three minute long pop song that has some substance to it. It's not just the auto tune, whatever, where it's like someone put it together in twenty minutes. Like it's catchy, but it also has something to say and it, it's kind of subverting things a little bit. And, and I love stuff like that because, you know, to, to go down the music path, right. I love 20 minute long songs and I love writing 20 minute long songs, but a lot of the times it's harder to write a three minute long song that also says what you want it to say, or can be kind of clever in, in that sort of format versus having all the room in the world and having the biggest canvas in the world to paint on. Right. Like, I think that's what this movie is. It's really smart and and has a lot to say and does so in a very contained kind of burst that's also very accessible. And I think Mark said that at the beginning of the cast, like it's a very accessible film, which is cool because a lot of the times the real heady stuff that we like and that we like to talk about isn't necessarily the most accessible. It's some three hour movie that's really in lots of dialogue or lots of really plotting scenes or whatever. Um, You know, Blade Runner 2049. Love that movie. Lots of great ideas. Very heady. Literally five minute long, like tracking shots or whatever, where it's not necessarily you're, you're going to lose people, I think, with that. Whereas this was very much, it, I think, appealed to a lot of folks. It, it appealed to that sort of blue collar moviegoer that's going to come in because they're, you know, looking for kind of escapism and they're looking for that action sort of thing. But then maybe they're going to see something in there that's going to make them ask questions or think about things and say, Hey, you know what? That's kind of interesting. You know, I wonder, I'm going to pay a little more attention to this or that kind of made me think twice about this or think a certain way about something. Maybe I thought one way on for whatever, however long. Right. So I think that's great sci-fi, you know, to be able to do that and to be able to do that in this kind of pop package, I think is awesome. So love it. I I think same thing, like Miller said, probably top 20 movie for me, magnanimous Mm -hmm. Mm sci-fi, great movie. Um, and, and really also happy that I remembered it and I'm happy that I brought it up and I'm happy that we covered it. Cause this is one where I feel like I can't believe it took us almost 150 episodes to do. They live crazy, yeah. but I'm glad we finally did. Yeah. yeah, for real. So that I believe is going to do it for us tonight. Uh, I'm not sure what we got coming in the coming weeks. We got a couple ideas. I think it's the abyss. Yeah, we'll have to next kind of week. talk through what we have next. But uh, regardless, um, we have a lot of good content, you know, as I, hopefully our, our listeners have seen here or not seen, obviously, because it's a non-visual medium. As our uh, listeners have uh, heard, 
and I guess um, notice we're, we're trying to really get back into the swing of things here with content, uh, doing our weekly uploads. So we're going to continue doing mm-hmm. that. Got a lot of cool stuff planned through, uh, you know, the, the rest of 2022 here. So thanks for the support and for sticking with us. Until next time.